fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. All right, Eric, is that the best offensive game you've ever had? Uh, two goals and essentially a hat trick when the game winner in the uh, no. Not even close. Shang. You know, getting pucks deep, putting the puck deep. Put pucks in deep. You can never go wrong with getting pucks in deep. Just put the puck deep. Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Pucks in deep. Pucks in deep. Puck deep. Pucks deep. Keep getting pucks deep. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pucks in Deep Podcast, episode 79. Josh Coleman, Adam Lesko, and we're back. That's right. We're not back together because we're locked down, Lesko. That's the gist. That's the gist of it there. Uh, Dougie says we're staying on lockdown, so I guess that's what's going on. Playing off the bottle tokes, maybe taking things seriously. (laughs) All right, so yes, we are back. It is episode 79. It's been quite some time since we spoke to you guys or since you guys and gals have heard us speaking to you or speaking at you, but that's what we're going to do. It's trade deadline day, emphasis on the dead part, I guess, until about what, let's go, 301 to 326, trade started rolling in fast and furious. Just about. I mean, last night was pretty exciting, obviously, for, uh, for us Maple Leaf fans. And then today it was, it was pretty quiet till about, you know, early afternoon. We saw a couple small ones trip, trickle in. And then, yeah, right about 3 o'clock and boom, you know, there's, there's always a bit of a little rush at, um, at that time. But I, I think, I'd argue the biggest trade of the day came after 3 o'clock, and that was the blockbuster uh, between the Red Wings and the Capitals where they managed to swing a deal for Anthony Mantha. Going back to the Red Wings is Verana, Panic, a first-round pick, and a second-round pick. So that's a hell of a haul. But for a guy who's cost-controlled, uh, three years to term left as well. And uh, I know Washington's all in on right now, much like the Maple Leafs appear to be. But, uh, I mean, I don't think anyone saw that, that coming. I, I saw about a couple trade bait boards, but there wasn't a lot of talk about Mantha prior to today. No, he's a great acquisition, man. Like, any, any team that has Anthony Mantha on it is going to be a, a better team than they were yesterday. I mean, I guess depending on who you subtract or whatever. But in this case, if you insert him into the lineup, pretty solid pickup, I think, man. And yeah, a bit of a blockbuster, well, a big blockbuster towards the end of the day. I think, you know, people look at the draft picks that are coming the other way and, and they say, oh my God, like what a egregious overpayment. But you have to remember, it's not always a rental, you know, like, yes, Trade deadline day, there's a lot of rentals. You're dealing with a lot of expiring terms, UFAs. But, you know, in this case, you mentioned, what is it, three years? Is that three on top of this year or this year and two more? I believe it's three years uh, in addition to this year. Like, I will wow. quickly while we're talking about I mean, about either it, way, I mean, that- either way, it's fantastic, man. You, you got to pay for term like that. And, you know, we've, we've seen that done by Kyle Dubas in the past, you know, to bring it back home to Toronto. Like, that's a deal that normally he likes to make. And I think it's pretty exciting. You mentioned uh, earlier, Lesko, the excitement for Leaf fans. I think the exciting part for me right now as a Leaf fan, as it relates to trade deadline day, is the simple fact that we're really going for it. Like, when was the last time you can remember 
loading up and 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 going for it, you know, and not subtracting any of the 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 core players or the I shouldn't say core players, like lineup players, roster not subtra- players, yeah, yeah, roster players, and just inserting some depth and 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 you know, even still addressing the need even further. Mm-hmm. Like basically, he addressed the need of the veteran leadership and you know the battle tested and hard to play against kind of players. He addresses those. And then doubles down with the Nick Foligno acquisition, which I'm not going to lie to you, really had me going. Yeah, absolutely. So I, so I looked into this a little bit. The last time the Leafs loaded up at the deadline for a playoff run would have been 2003. So we're talking tail end of the Pat Quinn era uh, where they brought in Ron Francis for a little run and Brian Leach. Uh, most notable names anyway, you know, a couple older guys. And uh, I believe they also brought in Owen Nolan that season as well. <laughs> oh, man. So, man, some of our listeners weren't even born. Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that's, it's, it's crazy to reference with that long ago. But, it, you know, we've mentioned a lot of times that some of the more fond memories we have last time they won a damn playoff series. So, That's crazy. It, it's just really exciting. Like I probably haven't been this excited for the playoffs since maybe when they made it in 2016, kind of un- unexpectedly. I got really amped up for that. But just to know that we're not just here for a, oh maybe we can win around. We're here to go. We're going for it. Dubis believes in these guys. You look, just look at the comparison between this year and last year. I mean, he sat on his hands because he's like, you know what? It's just not worth investing in. And one thing that kind of stuck with me that he had said in an interview was when people had kind of, you know, he had getting knocks about, oh, he's, he only likes small guys and, and they're going to be undersized and all they do is draft guys under six feet. And he had mentioned specifically, he said, I'm going to try and address this through free agency and trades. And all we've seen in the last year is them add those, those grittier, heavier playing type guys, bigger guys in general who – add an element that they didn't have previously. So I, I kind of laugh. I have to laugh at uh, some Leaf fans who, are, who seem to criticize him no matter what. And in this situation, you know, laying some criticism about the price, for example, for Nick Foligno. Um, for those unfamiliar, Foligno's coming over with Stefan Nason for a first and a fourth. Um, but, I mean, these are exactly the type of guys that we've said for the last few years we didn't have. And that's what they need to go, I think, the next level. Like, those are the guys who pay huge dividends in the playoffs. If you want to go deep, look no further than Tampa Bay and what they did last year at the deadline. Overpaid for Coleman, overpaid for Goudreau, but the best team in the NHL went and got better. They weren't complacent. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's important to note as well, you know, what, um, eight – maybe eight to 12 teams perhaps on an annual basis, maybe not this year with COVID and everything, but generally speaking, you know, eight to 12 teams are going to add at the deadline and only one of them is going to be able to celebrate those additions. Every other one of them is technically a failure unless you're able to swindle a deal like the caps did for Anthony Mantha. I mean, you talk about getting ousted in the first or second round and now the trade is a bust yeah, not so fast. You know, this guy's going to contribute to our lineup. He's going to contribute to our success moving forward, not just the, the recent playoff uh, failure, if that is the case, but moving forward into future playoffs as well, right? So it's not always yeah. necessarily about the move that you make on deadline day. However, I think it is important to note that 
you know, deadline day is, is a day where mistakes are made. And I, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell our listeners how excited and relieved I am that we did not make a Taylor Hall sized mistake. Now, before right. I throw it over to you, by no means necessary am I saying right now that the Boston Bruins made a mistake. But if I were a Bruins fan, I might say that. I'm not a Bruins fan, so I'm not even going to put myself in that position. But if Kyle Dubas acquired Taylor Hall for free, I would have called it a mistake, and I stand by it. Right. Right. Now, is that more to do with, like, you kind of think he's cursed, he carries some baggage, there's more below the surface, the numbers? Um, You know, are are you talking, like, how he's performed the last couple years, or do you think there's just more that we don't know that they might have vetted that they didn't like? Because from the sounds of things, they weren't actually interested in him at all. I, I think I think it's a mixture of all of those things, Lesko. And again, like I don't know this player. I have not spent time in the locker room with this player. Hell, I, I do kind of know some people who know the player, but outside of that, I have nothing to base this off of. But right. it's, but it's just the feel you get from he, what we're hearing. It's a it's a struggle. Like I, I think it's a struggle. He obviously carried the Devils in whatever year he played for them. What year did he play in the Devils? 2017? It was three, three years ago when he won the Hart Trophy. Right? And so obviously he's he carried them. Yeah, he carried them in that year, and that's great. And I'm not saying that he has no chance to return to MVP caliber level of play. But at the same time, man, I just I don't think that what the player demands – when you decide to acquire the player and then insert the player into your lineup and strategies, I think what the player demands is beyond what most teams can offer this this guy. Like if he came right. in to the Leafs, I mean, the fit is just not there. I, I cannot believe right. the amount of like brutal takes from Leafs Twitter that we should have got Hall, we overpaid yeah. for Felino, we could have got Hall instead, and even leading up until the trade, like it, people still thought that we were in on Hall even after yeah. we got Felino, man. Like relax. Isn't that, such a, isn't that such a weird phenomenon? Like I get the feeling that there is there's some players out there that are available, but it, all of a sudden, like media and w- with the aid of fans manifest a rumor that doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. I think that's what happened here. It is. I don't think there was ever, and based on what we heard from the insiders today, no real interest in Hall. And there's a lot of factors at play here. Hall's no movement clause. Uh, Apparently he was negotiating a deal with Boston last season and it just didn't work out. Right. Uh, So he already had intentions and interest in going there. And then once again, we also see exactly what you mentioned, the fit. Where does this guy go in the top six for the Maple Leafs? He's a first-line player. First line's all but set. And, you know, give or take, a guy mixes up here and there. Here and there. But it, it, if I'm the Maple Leafs and I'm looking at the deadline, I'm, I'm not looking at, oh, well, we need to get more offense. Yeah. That's not what I'm thinking. No. Okay? And and so it doesn't make sense from a needs perspective. And, and I, I just don't get where all this came from. It's like... It's like there's a segment of us Leaf fans who joke around about, oh, he's from Toronto. He's coming to Toronto for sure. Definitely going to happen. 
and we just start to believe it after a time. Like the joke becomes not a joke, and we actually go, "Oh, I really do want Taylor Hall." I guess it would have been nice. It's not like you'd be mad. like, you know, like most people would not be mad about it. Um, I wouldn't have been wouldn't very have happy. Been ha- well, it just wouldn't have been smart. It, it wouldn't have been smart. Like Felino is a smart move in that he addresses a need. He adds to your depth. He can play lines one to four. He can kill penalties, and he'll knock you on your ass, and he'll punch you in the face if he has to. Mm-hmm. I mean, think last year. Think back to the Columbus-Toronto play-in series. By game two, I had I always liked Felino for a full disclosure. I liked him since his Ottawa days. Me too. Just a character guy, you know, does everything right out there. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a Hyman type. I mean, we, we can never say enough good shit about Hyman. But what, what more did you ask in a year when we're trying to go as deep as possible? And last year, watching him play for Columbus, I, I hated him for the first time in his career. Yes. I hated him because he was chippy. He was in our face. He was nailing guys in the corner. He was cross-checking guys in front of the net. He was doing all the things that could give you that edge in the playoffs and the stuff that, that – Used to always, we were the Maple Leafs were on the receiving end of, and I, I'm happy to see that we've got some guys that can dish it out now. Yeah, and you know what, dude? Like, let's rewind and and, and pretend that for some, you know, we traded or whatever, we got Felino in the in the off season, right? Would would that addition not have further solidified Dubis's success? in addressing those needs that everyone, all the pundits wanted to point to and, and, and us fans agreed, you know? 100%. So, 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 so why now, why now is it a bad deal? Why now are we going to look at his fucking stats, his yeah. points, his, 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 me, his metrics and his charts? Yeah. Why are we going to yeah. look at those things now when we are clearly adding this player for a run? End of story. Right. I think it's already in stone that the guy is going to sign back in CBJ, right? So well, yeah, that, that that remains to be seen. Perhaps. That remains to be seen. But you know, it, it's just it's it's a really annoying thing that I can't yeah I can't handle it anymore. I need to log off like you do. I got to take it from you. <laughs> yeah, there's there's two factors at play here. One is the stats community kind of alluded to there is that their main thing is like put up the charts and here's what, you know, this guy's worth more wins than the other one. Okay, that's plain and simple. But we have to consider fit. And that we know the Maple Leafs are all about building a better culture in that room. And you, there's one thing you definitely can't argue is bringing in a guy who's been a captain for five years and who has 50 games playoff experience doesn't address that need. The other aspect we see here is the juxt. If this would happen off season, everyone would have been raised the roof, fucking rights. We got what we wanted, but it's the juxtaposition between beside the Hall deal, right? Everyone's right. like a second and, and a fourth liner for Hall. Well, why didn't we pay that? We couldn't afford that. If Kyle Dubas wanted Taylor Hall, we would have got him. Yes, I can almost assure you. Like, look at the the price they paid. For Felino, they were competing for Felino with at least one other team, the Avalanche. So they had to pay up, right? They got what they wanted. If they wanted Hall, they would have got him, right? You notice how the Hall trade happened about an hour after, too? 
you know, right. when Boston's like, hey, we got to make our move here. Yes. And and uh, and of course, without all the information, everybody's jumping to conclusions about, oh, well, this is a uh, you know the overpayment considering Hall went for this and that, and then. Um, Kevin Adams, uh, GM of Buffalo Sabres, comes out today, and he says, yeah, I was pretty much hands were tied. He was going to Boston. So I, he had to take what he could get. Yes. And, and, and that was going to be the case anyways with the no move. Mm-hmm. Right? And I That's mean, right. yeah, it's just um, I don't even really know what, what the moral of the story is right now, what, what, what exact topic we are on. But I can tell <laughs> you one thing. The explosion of takes – on social media is just, I mean, we are in another level. We are on another level in, in society. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention too, is in between hot takes about why this is so bad for the Leafs. It's like, it's like every major person who thinks they're an insider or is an insider is just retweeting and tweeting the exact same thing. You ever get that? Right. You're scrolling through right. your, you're scrolling through yeah. your timeline. You got 10 RTs of the same thing, yeah. <laughs> Trying to get new information. Yeah. You're, it's interesting, yeah. too, because, yeah, the takes were flying left and right before we had all the information on the trades and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I, you know, there's that, there's that segment, of, I think, of hockey Twitter or Leafs Twitter, you could say, that's like they're really prospect heavy. They're really invested in the draft. You know, there's been a – you know, you build by through the draft and first first round picks, but we're past that. We have officially entered the draft schmaft era yes. of the Shanna plan. Yes. Okay? Calling it back to Berkey. Yes. Draft schmaft. It's the best. Fuck the draft. Right. Honestly, as a fan, I could care less. I think they have seven picks over the next two years. I could care less. They could have zero. And I know that they scout. And they develop well enough now that they'll make them shits count. I have been saying for two seasons now, last and this. And of course, as we all know, last season was shut down, blah, blah, blah. I was so, so hopeful that Kyle Dubas would be selfish. Be selfish, Kyle. I've said it on the podcast. It's time to be selfish. It's time to mortgage the future for what you can do now. Because guess what, bro? If you don't fucking do anything, you could be gone. I think I said that last right. time we talked. If you don't do right. anything right now, and by do anything I mean win, if the team doesn't win, you could be gone. So how good yeah. is it that you've protected the future? Oh, it's great for the new fucking GM. What about you, Kyle? What about you? It's time to do so you. And he's doing him, and I'm loving it. Yeah, and the, the cap maneuvers they've managed to make, too. There's a lot of fan dangling. Uh, you can read up uh, on it a little bit if you're an athletic subscriber. They do a couple deep dives on how the Anderson LTIR helped them out and, and um, allowed them to add a few different players. Because that's another aspect of the Hall situation that people don't look at either. If they add Hall, even at 50% retained, that's $4 million bucks. They, they managed to get three guys for that. Yes. Because they added, you know, uh, was just continue on here for what the Maple Leafs did today. They bring in big save Dave Riddick. Big save. Calgary. Third round pick. Um, they also brought in uh, another depth defender, uh, 27-year-old Ben Hutton from Anaheim for a fifth round pick. Plays left defense. Former CJ as well, alumni, Kempville 73s and the PN Raiders. Nice. And uh, Barabanov went out to uh, San Jose for Auntie Sumala, right? 
That's correct. Wait, so that means 27 that... 27 years old, 51 NHL game played, death move, whatever. And I think it's more about doing right by Baron Banoff. Give him somewhere he can play. Yeah, fair enough. Dude, that means that, uh, that, means that I would have called some of Ben Hutton's games. That's right. What year did he, he play? Been... What year did he play there? I want to see uh, now. All right, um, hockey DB in it. Right I'm now, looking. I'm looking it up myself. Because yeah, once you, know, you set, he's from Brockville too. So 27 though, eh? So that's like 2008 to 2012. He was in the CJ. Okay, well, I was calling games there, but I don't think I'm going to be able to go back and and look at them. I was just going to be interested to maybe pull up an archived game and just check it out. Maybe, yeah. maybe send him a little clip. Go Leafs go. Here's your goal there that you I go. call. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that was important to note as well, let's go with the uh, LTIR that you were alluding to on the athletic. That was a pretty savvy pickup on the Riley Nash deal as well. Uh, Absolutely. Wasn't it to activate further cap space available? Something that was That's probably right. written into the CBA by Brandon Pridham himself. Right, absolutely. So in acquiring Riley Nash, the Maple Leafs have him on LTIR. Essentially, he doesn't count for shit until the playoffs, and there's no cap in the playoffs. So right. if they activate him in the playoffs, it's they can be over. It doesn't matter. And, and that's the same uh, thing with Freddie, Nash, too, eh? Right. With Riley Nash, too, being a bit of a higher contract, I think he's making about three mil. Um, it's probably not one they want on the books or can even have on the books. Uh, yeah, even activating Freddie in the regular season, um, we'll get into that a little later, uh, could have some significant implications for what they would have to do as far as moving guys up and down from the taxi squad. But uh, Riley Nash, I figure we should spend a minute on at least. Uh, another guy who was very noticeable, I would say, in the series last year against Columbus, he's a shutdown centerman. He kills penalties. He works hard. He digs hard in the corners. Just another one of those guys that you want on your team if you're trying to go deep. And if you remember as well, I believe Boston had acquired him uh, prior to the year, the year previous 2018 playoffs when the, and the Leafs played against him. And he played a pretty significant role against the Maple Leafs as well in that series. I do remember that. Um, if he's available to play, are you slotting him in over somebody on the roster, perhaps like a Pierre Engvall uh, what do you think I, there? I, I would imagine he gets an opportunity. It seems that Engvall has settled in, at least for now, on that third C spot. Um, Kerfoot has been bumped down to the fourth line. He's actually playing wing with Spezza there. Um, i got to figure that Riley Nash, at least out the gate, starts on the fourth, potentially gets an opportunity in that uh, third C slot. But uh, it, it's good for them to have a plethora of options. And... I think I, I'm not even that hung up on necessarily where he plays in the lineup line-wise or position-wise, considering how the team is playing right now. But I think obviously his most valuable asset is, is just being a Yeah, uh, well, you can never have too many options up the middle, obviously. Uh, so they say, um, how about, uh, well, I don't even know. Do we don't want to get too far on to the Leafs specifically here. Eh? I mean, we got a second half coming up here. Um, did you happen to take in the masters golf tournament on the weekend? Absolutely. I took in a little bit there on, uh, the first couple of days I was working from home. So I got to put on a little screen there in the background and, but I tell you, 
I was very disappointed to see DJ bow out so early, considering I put a futures bet on him in like December <laughs> and waited waited four months for that. <laughs> That's such a kick in the pants. That's such yeah, a kick in the pants. And you know what? It's funny because I, I was going to bet on. Uh, I was looking at a couple different guys before the tournament, too. Like, I was looking at Morikawa. Uh, Matsuyama, I did not have that guy on my radar, although I did take a, a peep, peek at him. And the golf odds are so crazy, eh? Like, you get – I think you got Matsuyama. You could have had him at, like, 50 to 1 going mm-hmm. into the tournament. Mm-hmm. So, did you have any bets on the tournament? Uh, no, I, I didn't actually get into betting, uh, you know, on the tournament itself. I, I am in a year-long – uh, majors pool. I, I should have, I should have sent it to you. Actually, you probably would have liked to have been in it. it. It's, it's just a pool that is ever growing. Anyone that wants in, you can get in. It's a box pool. Uh, I won it a few years ago. I won it the year that Danny Willett won the masters and, um, you know, each pool pays out like seven or $800, uh, to the winners. And then they do an overall. So it's your overall money earned, for all four majors and you can win another five or 600 bucks as well. So that year I won, I won the masters because of Danny Willett. And then I did well enough in the other three majors to also win the overall. So it was pretty sick. Um, I should have sent that to you. I'll have to do that next time for sure. But yeah, as far as that goes, I did have an outside chance. Uh, I think there was like 190 entries in the pool and I was floating in the top 10, uh, on Saturday and early Sunday, and I needed, like, if Morikawa would have had a better round, and if Siwoo Kim would have done something other than par 18 holes in a row, <laughs> I would have shot up because nobody above me had Colin Morikawa, and nobody above me had Siwoo Kim. Now, Jordan Spieth right. was in the block with Siwoo Kim and Spieth kind of took a tumble there. He went down the leaderboard and it was looking great for me. And then of course, you know, things change. Guys go on runs. Spieth actually really bounced back incredibly well. What did he end up? T2 or T3, I think? Like solid, Uh, solid finish. Very solid finish. But really cool, man. Really cool. Interesting tournament. Like I got to say like, you know, at the end of the day, and I'll say this about any sport, I mean, who wants to see the Patriots win again, right? I mean, Matsuyama winning the tournament was pretty awesome. Um, considering, like, I could imagine the the founder of uh, of uh, the course there. Geez, why why am I blanking on the course? Augusta National. Augusta. Was probably roll. He was probably rolling in his grave, knowing that that a Jap was winning the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been so pissed. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're too uh, fond necessarily of. Uh, you know, golf is an all-inclusive sport. I mean, they are now, let's no. go, of course. Of course well, they are. Yeah, it's all changed now. But, of yeah. course, like, you know, the founder has some pretty famous uh, words attributed to him about people of color playing on his course. Yeah. So I, I, I like it. It's awesome. And if there's, you know, they mainly were trying to keep black people off the course back in the day. But if there's one per, one group that they hated more than black people back in the 30s and 40s when they started this thing, was it was – Japanese yeah most definitely Um, yeah so I I just thought that was interesting but um, more interesting I thought was uh, somebody I'd never heard of actually prior to the tournament and that's uh, Will Zalatoris who is the doppelganger for the goddamn caddy from Happy Gilmore Happy Gilmore's first caddy hey where are you going with those clubs punk 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Gilmore, I'm the caddy. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, oh, I'm sure sorry about that. Only line. Is that not his only line in the whole movie? Man. No, no, I'll give you another one. I'll give you another one. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. Mr. Gilmore, you're up. All right. Oh, yeah. Get out of the way. <laughs> well, that's um, a, that's after Lafferty Daniel tees oh, off, right? 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 Yeah. And then yeah, he doesn't yeah. know what okay. to do. And Will Zalatoris says, Mr. Gilmore, you're up. Like, hello. Yeah. That was... Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, two that, lines. That was pretty funny. The, the hair and, the, and just, like, the scrawny kid look, like... He, he, he's so gangly like no, I can't I, believe I he didn't get blown out. away by the Augusta fucking winds yeah like and the way he held his putter I found was really strange too like is that a that must be like a new age technique he had like the one hand it's they're both very low on one of those fat grips and then he had like what three fingers on yeah. the bottom hand yeah the claw yeah, a, yeah pretty cool big day for him and I just laughed because Sunday morning, all the memes online were all about him. Even Adam Sandler himself was tweeting about it. Yeah, I saw saying, that like, too. That was proud good. Of you and all this stuff. It's good. And uh, I guess shout out to uh, Corey Connors had a, a pretty good weekend there. I know he was he was in the hunt maybe a little bit for yeah, a while. Yeah, he had a bad Sunday. I, he did have a bad Sunday. He ended up plus uh, plus two in round four, and then minus four overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anyone was catching Matsuyama, although Zalatoris did. Uh, have a bit of a push there on Sunday for sure. So yeah, it was really all a bit of a thing for himself. It was all in Hideki's hands. Like the 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 tournament ends up being recorded as a one stroke victory, but it was it was really never in question after the moment that Xander Shoffley rinsed his ball on sixteen, which was really honestly, I was rooting for Hideki personally, but I I, I you know me, man. And anyone other than the Leafs, I want it to be close. Yeah, like, you want you want drama. You want, want drama. Like a, yeah, you want a playoff at the end of it, right? Like yeah. it's, it's cool when there's a when there's a story like Tyler or even, Phil or, or even just a putt to win. Even even just a just a just a, a plain old a putt to win, you know. And it was yeah. looking kind well, of thought- boring for a little bit, but then. Uh, you know, Matsuyama gets in trouble. Shoffley uh, gets a birdie. There's a two-shot swing. Now he's within two, right? And they're on the 16T. Like, this thing ain't over, baby. And mm-hmm. Shoffley has honors and misses on the fucking short left. Like, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. You You don't necessarily have to be that aggressive you can just you know because the green i'm sure you're not super familiar with it let's go but maybe you are that green on 16 slopes significantly towards the hole if you yeah. hit the middle of the green anywhere anywhere middle ish of the green it will roll down towards the hole and he went flag hunting and the flag was barely on the green to begin with it was only like four paces on from the side right like it's that's a tough goal. It's a really really tough goal. I don't I don't know if he underclubbed or if that was the shot he wanted to hit, but it was disappointing, man, because coming off a two-shot swing like that and having the honors, like you 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 just can't miss there. You can't. And yeah, who am I to tell a PGA weird. pro what to do? But I mean, I think he knows yeah. it too. Yeah, I think Shoffley's an interesting story cuz like he's been hanging around, I feel like for a couple of years now. Like he's always in the mix. He's always been there, but has not been able to to make that extra step or string together a good enough tournament to, to come out with a victory. Oh, he, uh, I think he finishes course, like though? top 10, top 10 in, in every fucking major. 
Yeah. Like he's a he's lock. making a good living. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, <laughs> yeah. I I like to see different people win. Seeing Matsuyama win was awesome, and he's one other guy who's been hanging around for quite some time. Um, how about the course though, man? Like it's it was so crazy to see how different it played compared to the the previous Masters we retreated to in what November? November, was, yeah. yeah. When the balls were sinking into the greens and no bounces, no nothing. Like it, it almost seemed like that threw off a few guys. Um, in the early days of the tournament where it's just like, even if they knew in their heads, like, yeah, of course it could be drier or whatever. It still seemed like they were playing it wrong and they were almost playing it similar to the way they were playing it back in the fall. Yeah. You know what? Augusta is a little bit like a links course in the sense that you have to land the ball in certain areas. If you want it to get close to the pin, you can't go at the pin. You can only go at the pin on a few greens uh, at Augusta. And and that even depends on where the flag, where the hole is cut that day. Very rarely are you able to go right at the pin. And, yeah, you're right. Like, when we started, you saw a lot of players going at the pin. You saw a lot of players going long. You saw a lot of players, you know, missing on the wrong wrong sections to miss, and their ball would roll all the way down into a hazard, you know, and they're kind of standing back on the tee block, wondering how that happened and it's like bro like you you should know that that happens you know whether you've played yeah. here or not you know you should yeah. know that that happens that's what greens books are for you know and and i i cautioned some people who were chatting with me about you know who they were picking to win the masters and and i heard this on on major media as well it was a caution like don't don't be basing your picks off of the november win you know, right. now of course DJ is a different story, man. He's a fucking number one player in the, one. in the world. Okay, yeah. different story. But you know, it it's not what it is in November. So someone, you know, someone on uh, lower down on your list who's you know ninety six to one odds and they finished you know T seven in November, but they've never placed any other fucking time. Well, guess why? It was, the course played like a regular PGA course where they could stick yeah. it. They could stick it. Yeah. Like, I don't remember the last time I ever saw a shot at Augusta other than November, and we never see shots at Augusta in November, but they don't stick. Yeah, they don't stick. They roll. They fucking keep rolling, man. Sometimes they come to a stop, and then they roll even further. Like, you know, so. Those greens just seem tormenting. Like, I saw DJ miss that two or three footer, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's that's it right there. Like, if that's the kind of weekend you're having and this is Friday, dude, you're just rude, buddy. Like, could you imagine trying to make – like, could you imagine trying to get get down in two on like a thirty footer from there? Like, yeah, like a thirty footer at that. your at your local Muni course. Like, yeah, I'm I'm fully expecting myself as a golfer that I am. I'm expecting to be down in two, put one up near the fucking hole, and then sink another one. On yeah. like at Augusta, oh man, it, I think it would be beyond embarrassing. I'd have to pick up the ball and leave the course. Yeah. Yeah, if you ever have the privilege to play there, <laughs> which I won't. Yeah, I was I was looking into that actually. I was uh, interested. I was reading. Um, well, I watched. I saw. I guess to preface this, I I watched the uh, first part last night of the HBO Tigers uh, documentary. Okay, which yeah, was really fascinating, and it was of course the first person of color to ever win there, and how big of a deal it was, and and just the. Uh, the aura and the madness and, and the, the whole thing with Phil, it was, it was just super cool. I can't recommend it enough to anyone who's got Crave subscription or HBO now mm-hmm. or whatever it's called. You got to check that out. 
Um, but yeah, they were kind of explaining the course and 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 just the the difficulties and and the fact that you know I I guess I didn't realize at the time being so young, but that he completely made a mockery of the course designers almost like this is all you got. Like the way he played it the first time he was even there yeah. was was incredible. They had to tiger proof it. I mean, it's no it's no secret they had to tiger proof the goddamn golf course. And you know, then you got then you got a guy like Bryson DeChambeau, all right, making headlines. We all know he likes to make headlines, but DeChambeau comes out in November or you know whatever it was, October just prior to the previous Masters, and you know goes on record and says, "Look, it, I know it's a par seventy two, but." The way I hit the ball and, and the way that I have my strategy laid out, this is a par 67 to me, right? Uh, okay, yeah. okay, Bryson. So does that mean that you're like 12 over? What does that make you? What does that make you if, if par is not 72 for you? What are you right now, right? So like Tiger made them change the course because not only was he doing different things, new things that they hadn't seen before, but he was doing them consistently, consistently well, right and DeChambeau he, he can't bring it consistently and yeah. that's back-to-back masters performances after saying something so ridiculous like that mm-hmm. absolutely embarrassed himself yeah it's, it just goes to show you I mean these places are so tough and it, it doesn't matter if you play the long ball or not or you got an amazing short game that that they'll throw curve balls and it's just it's just a learning experience and uh, not everybody's a golf savant like Tiger and just can read it so well and, and make things happen. And I liked how they alluded to uh, Tiger when he started working out, when he said, I'm going to get better. And this is between like 96 and 2000. And he's hitting the gym, which was like unheard of for a golfer. At the time. <laughs> yes. you know, golfers were working out, trying to push their drives. And then he talked about how he, uh, he fucked with Phil on that one hole where he, he outdrove him with a three wood. Yes. And he was like, and, and it, I guess the story goes like Phil asked him about it, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, he's like, I usually hit it further." Yeah, I can tell you exactly what it was. He said, "Do you normally hit your three wood that far?" And he said, "No, I normally hit it further." <laughs> yeah, just like wow, that's it was something. And I, of course, like the first part's pretty built up, really well done. Second part, I can tell, is going to get into the nitty-gritty. Second part's trash. Turn it off. If if there's one thing I can understand about Tiger that maybe didn't get before is that he knew golf. He knew how to cope with golf. He knew how to live and work on the golf course. But he has zero life skills outside of golf. Zero. Zero. Yeah. And and it's really – it's his upbringing, right? Like when they interview his first girlfriend, she really tells him like – tells us like, yeah, I tried to introduce him to things that weren't golf. And that's why his parents basically just just took him away, you know, like because all they did was golf. That was it. That was all. And it, it's very conflicting because you're like, wow, it's an amazing story that they were able to do this. But part of me feels like poor is tiger this child abuse or yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, well, we I hope we do a whole episode on this, so so we'll move past it. But I thought I'd mention it just because it kind of ties in with the whole Augusta thing and and the stories about that. But uh, definitely recommend. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and just quickly again before we do move on, I I couldn't agree with you more, man. It puts you in a puts you in a bit of a difficult spot because I, I said to Kirsty as we were watching the documentary, uh, I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel right now because, like, I kind of feel bad for the guy, like he, he barely got to be a human being, but then on the other side, but then on the but then on the other side, I'm I'm selfishly glad that it happened because I have Tiger in my life. You know, yeah. it's like if well, it's like if Walter Gretzky, you know, 
didn't have a rink. Weighed yeah. it too. He couldn't talk, couldn't speak words, but he was skating around the rink and he's blowing the whistle like friggin' uh, Herb Brooks there in, in Miracle. <laughs> right, right. Tough, yeah. t- tough but, upbringing, but he's got a lot of hardware, I can tell you that. Yeah, well, he's banging whores in a Winnebago the whole time, too. <laughs> Oh, okay. No spoilers. Right. Come on now. No spoilers. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. All right, we'll, we'll take it back to the NHL here. Um, we'll go on to – is there any other notables we really want to talk about here? I thought there was one I wanted to mention, actually, is the New York Islanders acquiring Paul Mary and Zajac from the Devils. Mm. Really good deal for them. Makes them a much better team immediately. Uh, probably a team that, you know, you look at and, and you think, okay, they can definitely get through a round or two, but are they going for it? I don't know. This probably helps them out a bit. Maybe not over the top. Doesn't put you in the same league as, say, Tampa or anything. But the most interesting thing, other than, I guess, Lamorello acquiring two familiars, right. was Tom Fitzgerald's quote. Tom Fitzgerald says, you know, I hope it's his 32nd overall first rounder, basically that it's as late as possible, and these guys win the cup. Is that, like, borderline tampering? <laughs> like, is that like, hey, I sauced up a, a, a good one here for Lou, and, like, they're, div- they're your division rivals. Yeah, Could but- you imagine Kyle Dubas, uh, or, or I guess the opposite, Ottawa Senators flip a couple good guys to Toronto and say, yeah, you know what, I hope I hope they win the cup, the Leafs win the cup, and, and we pick last in the first round. I mean, per, like... If I'm, if I'm a fan of the team saying that, I'm like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, but personally, I think it's more of a nod to the players. Like, I love these guys. I think so, too. And I hope they win, basically. Yeah. Like, I'd like to I see these guys you. win. And, 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 I agree with and, you on and, that. And, and Torts, Torts had a similar one. Torts said, you know, about Tortorella and – or um, about Felino. Like, he was saying, I, I got nothing but the best for this guy. I wish him all the best, right? Well, what, what, is, what does that mean? Like, obviously, all the best would be a goddamn cup. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's so. different, like, I would say, because they're completely out of it. And they're not divisional rivals. Like I just found like New Jersey, New York Islanders. Like it was just, uh, I don't know. Like I feel like you wouldn't have that same kind of camaraderie say between the Rangers and the Islanders, right? Or they probably wouldn't make a trade. No, you're so. right. It would be more. It would be more along the lines of what Torts said. I wish them all the best. Versus what Fitzgerald said, which was very blatantly, I hope they win the Stanley Cup and we draft. For you know whatever, yeah. and they draft you know last in the first round. <laughs> yes. Now one one big one here, um, one other big one or notable one that I think we should give some time to is the Pens acquiring Jeff Carter. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. Interesting move. Of I course. like it. Um, not surprising that Pittsburgh would make such a move. Gives them a, a scoring option, a little more depth. Guy can play in the middle and everything, uh, especially with Malkin being out. Um, not surprising at all from them, and not surprising that, say, Jeff Carter would waive his no trade to go there. I well, mean, he seemed pretty cozy in life for about 10 years, so. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go that far because just, I believe it was at the draft or in the off offseason, uh, there was rumblings. I was reading that today, that there was rumblings about Carter being on the move, and his desire at that time was to stay in L.A. He had no intentions of going anywhere, but now the tune has changed and he's very excited to get things going with, you know, former Team Canada teammate, uh, Sidney Crosby. 
pretty exciting time for yeah. Jeff Carter. Yeah, for sure. And Pittsburgh, as we've talked about many times, is a win now. So it's good that they were able to make an addition to that team and, and give another run. But, geez, i got to say, like the East especially is looking super crowded as far as teams that are going for it. We know the Bruins are going for it. They've got, you know, the window seems to be closing in on them a little bit. Excuse me, Washington Capitals, of course. Um, they've been, well, win now for about five years, it feels like. Yeah. You know, and they have the record to back it up. Tampa Bay, Toronto. So it's, it's going to be – the playoffs should be very, very interesting. Lots of players to watch, lots of storylines there as well. Dude, dude, how how incredibly interesting are the conference finals going to be for each for each conference? The first very time. Much so. Like the first time all year that we get to see other teams playing each other and it's the goddamn conference finals. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be exciting, and it's uh, the scouts are making their money this year. That's for sure. They're earning their paychecks because there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of scouting because it's not going to. You're not going to be able to rely on okay. Well, we played them three times, and this is what the this is what we clipped out of it. Right. It's going to be completely based on uh, guessing how your team and systems is going to react against an opponent. Yeah, for sure. Couple couple things I wanted to hit on here. Um, uh, I want to take it over to the Oilers. The Oilers dummied Ottawa nine times this year. Nine times, 9-0, and and Trace Idle and McDavid are setting records for points in the season against a team. It, 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 what, does anybody expect – was anybody expecting anything any differently? Like, Ottawa does not get enough credit at all this season. If you look at their record versus Edmonton versus the record versus everyone else – you know, we see them against the Maple Leafs. They have caused us a lot of trouble. They've caused other teams a lot of trouble. So what is it? I really took a look at it and said, like, you know, on the other hand, the Maple Leafs have pretty much dominated the Oilers throughout this season. And what I gather is that Ottawa just cannot defend those guys. They don't have the defense personnel. They don't have the goaltending. And they don't have the centers, most importantly. Yes. Whereas you look at the Maple Leafs, the Maple Leafs as a team can defend those guys. And then they have for the majority of the season because they got Austin Matthews, they got John Tavares, and they have a pretty solid decor right now. Mm-hmm. So it, it just it, people were all surprised and shocked, and I was like, you know what? It's not that shocking, given that if you look at every single game, Drysdale McDavid absolutely torched the Senators, and the, the the obvious answer to me is that no one can match up to them, no one on that team. Yeah, and I mean this this kind of thing is not measurable. But again, I, you know, Carlo Koliakovo, I hear it all the time on a on a commercial on on TSN radio. His little comment there, where he says that you know every team brings their A game to play the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it's it's true. It can't be measured, though. I don't think, or maybe it can. Like maybe you can go through every game and whatever. But like, I just feel. Like in sports, there are always going to be certain teams that have other teams' numbers, even when they're not having a great season. And we used to do that to Ottawa when they were much better than we were, and right. and you know, and vice versa. You know, we we used to get Battle them. Battle of Ontario. Yeah, we used to get them. You know, when we had no business doing it, um, and, and and now you know they they get us, and and they've got apparently no business doing it either. Um, it, it's not, it's beyond a joke to me. Like, it's just, it's one of those things where 
I, I, I could have easily told you this year that we were going to lose multiple games to the Sens. I, I'm sure I'm on record somewhere saying it to someone. Like, of course we're going to lose games to the Sens this year. You're going to lose games. It just happens. Yeah, you're going to lose hockey games to teams that, you know, on paper aren't as good as you, but maybe they brought it more than you on that particular night. Or, or, or maybe you, you know, had really bad puck luck and they had great puck luck and it ended up being a two-goal win for them. Like, you know, it's hockey, man. There's just so many random things that can happen that can change the course of games. But yeah, when you're looking at a nine and O record, like that's some, that's some telling data, bro. Like that's not, that's yeah. not a small sample size. Right. So obviously, yeah, they've, they've got some trouble defending that duo, but other teams don't seem to have that trouble. And uh, you know that I listen to uh, Sirius XM radio a lot. We've had a couple of their guys on Tyler Matteras, Jake Hahn, Nick Alberga. Um, you know, they, they talk about it all the time on the show, the, the, the triangle, this team, like Team A can beat Team B. Team B can beat Team C, which means, right. that t- which means that Team A should crush Team C. But for some reason, Team C is beating Team A no fucking problem. Like, how is yeah. that happening? Everyone's beating everyone, yet, the, like, it's, it's weird. And I think that that is all you can chalk it up to, is that hockey it's is matchups. weird sometimes. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a little bit of that and just matchups. It's just the way teams match up against other teams and, you know, I, I know Edmonton was not especially active or anything in the last couple of days, but you have to believe that the way they see themselves measured up against the Maple Leafs makes them go, okay, in this weird year, we probably have a shot. But, I, I mean, is anyone putting Edmonton in that top five conversation right now? I don't think so. Highly doubtful. Despite having two of the best players in the NHL. I know, but they the, the pundits don't even want to put us in there because of the North Division being trash. Which, by the way... Can we push back on that at all? Like, do I, did did, been back did we ha, did we have the free fucking space card in in bingo in Buffalo? I don't think we had a free space. I'm pretty sure the only team in the NHL that has not been shut out yet is Ottawa. Yeah, well, and you look at the uh, look at the NHL standings. There, I'm just gonna pull them up as a, as I speak here. But if you pull up the overall standings. Ottawa is not even in the bottom five. So you look at every division, and they have weaker opponents that they beat up on too. So just because Vancouver gets dusted by a large margin and Ottawa gets dusted by a large margin does not necessarily mean that the division is shit. And I don't think you can just – you're not looking at the Maple Leafs as a hockey team in its entirety if you're just going to write it off because of a division thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, like, come on, bro. Like – we're, I'm talking about Buffalo being a free space. What about Philly for those couple of weeks or a month or however right. long it was for them, man? Like, I'm sorry. I, like, we weren't getting those games. Like, yeah, Calgary, okay, fine. You know, like, they're not great either, but they were not Buffalo or Philly, you know? Yeah. Like, they had Dave Riddick standing on their fucking head. We couldn't beat him, so we got him. We got him. Can't beat him. Get him. <laughs> right? Can't beat him. Go get him. I, I, and apparently, he's going to be available for tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow against Calgary. So I, why not start him? Stream him, bud. You got to stream like, him. The him, revenge right game. Nick Alberga. Absolutely. Nick Alberga. Yeah, I, you I would, love it. I'd love it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, an interesting thing I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to see is jog your memory here, but um, there was a segment. I think it was an intermission segment where O'Dog had pointed out, oh, there's a new coaching strategy. And they played that shift when the Leafs and Ottawa were playing each other a few weeks back. And 
Ottawa had six guys on the ice. Oh, six guys. I remember for that. a full minute until there was a whistle. The whole shift. And they like, played the whole shift. The whole shift. So he's like, that's a bold new strategy. And, you know, it jogged my memory. I thought, my dad used to do exactly that when he coached us in house league when, like, Adam Peewee hockey. He literally did it on purpose. He said, and I asked him about it. So I went over. I was like, Dad, do you remember this? And he said, oh, yeah. He was laughing about the same clip because he's like, I used to do that. So what he used to do essentially was he would see that, you know, we had a couple 14-year-old kids lying in the game and we're down a goal eight, he'd just tell a kid to go out there. And it was funny because I, I specifically remember moments where the kid he was telling the go out would be like, uh, what do you mean? Like, no one's coming off. Like, there's already five. He's like, just go. Just go. And like, open the <laughs> gate. Push him right out the gate. You're out there. <laughs> and, like, I, I remember a couple times he got caught, but a lot of times he didn't. Right. And if you see the ref pull out their fingers and start counting, that's when he starts shouting at someone to get off. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't remember that specifically, but the 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 biggest and greatest memory of your dad coaching us uh, back in the day is definitely yelling at you to get up and get off the ice, and then you'd fucking come over and he'd be drag he'd be dr- fucking dragging you in over the bo- <laughs> over the boards because you just like you know you, you sometimes it was you you would lay a big fucking hit but you'd take the worst of it because you were smaller than most of the guys you were trying to hit you know and yeah. your dad would just be get up at him get up at him and you'd get up and you'd be coming over like kind of fucking hurt or whatever and he would just fucking just drag you in by your shoulder pads <laughs> over the bench i used to love I seeing that shit yes i drop penalty you got to you got to yeah yeah i know that's uh, some pretty fond memories there with him behind the bench there yelling at us and all that but i thought it was funny because then I had never seen it otherwise or heard of it otherwise where a coach intentionally was playing with too many men just on the basis that I might get away with it. Yeah. I might yeah. get away with it. Well, I don't think that was what the fucking sends were doing. I saw that shit I, live. I had to, I paused it and rewound it and was like, look at what is happening right now. And I think it didn't help Lesko that it was right in the middle of, I think I was having a bad week that week and really upset with the officials. And you know me, I don't like to do that. I really do not enjoy getting on the officiating but you know we had the tim peel thing happen recently and of course so it it, it naturally worked right its on the way. heels of that yeah it worked right it, it you know it worked its way into major media for a while but I, I i was already at my wits end um with the officiating at that point in my life and then that happened and i was just like okay like i mean this isn't even a fucking discretionary call get a calculator or something like this is a math decision you can't do that. Like, yeah. Figure it out. Like nobody noticed yeah. it. And even furthermore, I mean, if you're Sheldon Keefe and the boys on the Leafs bench, you, someone's got to figure that out too. And what happens if they score and then they notice after? Like goal call on the ice. Is that a challenge review play? Like that is some gray area shit. Man, that is a really good question. Because like say they don't notice at all. Ottawa goes and scores. And then they're like, wait a second. <laughs> it was the guy. It, it was the guy that came over the bench. <laughs> The sixth man scores too. Yeah, the sixth man scores and everything. Yeah, I, I don't know that. That would be a whole can of worms. You thought that Matt Duchesne out offside was embarrassing. That that right there would be a 
all time fuck up. Well, they'd have but, to, uh, yeah. they'd have to integrate it into the video replay review because, you know, formerly they weren't able to review hand passes. And then we had the sharks Vegas situation yes. where, you know, that definitely could not have happened again. So they added hand pass and puck out of play as reviewable. So now you're right. Like they need to, they definitely need to be like sub point three too many men. Because what yeah. if that happens? What if they fucking score? Well, if you got guys coming off the ice too, say when they score, like it would be really hard to catch maybe in the moment and right after. But yeah, you're right. It was right on the heels of that Tim Peel incident. What an interesting thing because I swear it was no more than three weeks prior that on this very show, Pucks and Deep podcast, uh, we talked about this exact topic. And it started in the group chat, I think, with me, you, and Lee, where we were like, how do you get rid of even-up calls? How do you get rid of pity calls? Like, you're up 5-1, and, and they're like, yeah, we're just going to call the dustiest, you know, softest call ever just to give them a power play to make the game interesting. Yeah. And my understanding after this whole Tim Peel event was that the league is essentially pushing for keeping it close, making the games interesting which I get from a business standpoint, but from an integrity of the game oh, standpoint, you can't brutal. have it. And that's why Tim Peel wasn't fired, but he was t- taken off the schedule because you have the NHL on the cusp of all these major betting partnerships. They yeah. can't have this at all. They can't have an agenda. They cannot have an agenda. Scares, that scares betting companies away and doesn't want, say, Bet99 or CoolBet or whoever putting their names on the boards because – Fuck, we got refs borderline rigging games. Yeah, bet ninety nine. Like, but oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. It's just weird. It's a reckoning. I feel like it's a long time coming because all of a sudden it was forced to the forefront of the conversation. Everybody was talking about it, and the consensus you heard from ex players was, "Well, this is just this is the way the game goes." And us, as long time guys who played, refed, and and watched the game, we're like, "Yeah, this is the way it is." You know, we kind of accept it though, just carte blanche. Like we don't, we don't, we never challenge it. And it, it just, I, I, I was, I welcome the conversation because it, it exposes two things. One is that how hard it is to referee the games. Number two is that the rule book, the rule book needs to either be, if you want, if you're one of those people whose conclusion after this is call it by the book, then we have to. We have to either like hone in on more concrete definitions of rules and get away from discretion. And to be honest, I'm a fan of ref discretion. I'm a fan of like I've been saying about puck over the glass. Okay, don't call it automatic. Call it if it appeared to be intentional or something, right? Yes. And I know that invites controversy, but here we have a situation where exposed in front of everyone and the casual fan and 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 somebody might not know anything is that. Here's a referee basically saying, yeah, I'm going to call penalty on these guys just a matter of when. Yeah, exactly. You know, but to, to break it down a little bit further, I personally have no problem with makeup calls. Like, I'm not going to complain about a makeup call, you know? And it, let, let, let's go back a few years before all this review and super slow motion and all oh, we can see that they made a mistake. You know, back in the day, there'd be a call and they'd show the highlight and you'd be like, he didn't even touch him. Right? Like it was not even a penalty. They totally fucked it up. Right. They go into the intermission. They watch it. They see it. They're like, shit, man, we really fucked that up. Well, you know what? The, next, the, the next time that there's even close to a penalty for the other guys, 
we're giving it to them. And, and if you're the other guys, you got to know that. You know you got a freebie. Did you score on the power yeah. play? Fucking great. Now be ready yeah. to kill one. Did you not score on the power play? Uh-oh, like now you're really in trouble because you know you got a free one. You missed it yeah. out on the power play, and now you got to tread softly. You can't get any sticks yeah. near the hands or, you know, anything like that. It's not like they're just going to call you for looking at them the wrong way, but that's where I'm at with makeup calls. I've, I've always been okay with makeup calls to – to rectify an earlier mistake, I'm not okay in any stretch of the imagination with keeping it close, you know? Oh, hey, right. bet bet 99, bet the game, but don't bet 1.5 or over, <laughs> you know, right. be, because yeah. they're going to make it close. Like, that's just, yeah. that's egregious. You, you can't be doing that. Has to stop. Yeah, it, it's a weird thing, and I understand it's a delicate balance, and, 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 and I'll be honest, like, I accept it my whole life. I mean, I'm watching the Maple Leafs, and they get an even-up call, I'm like, oh, yeah, even-up call. You know? Like, I fully acknowledge it. I know it's cheap or whatever, but it's it's so ingrained in part of the game. I mean, this shit happens at every level of hockey. It happens in minor house league, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just, you know, and I, I was of, of the belief, and I think when we last had this conversation, that this is like a human bias, so to speak, and it's just kind of the way it's been and the, the way it is. And I, I just welcome the conversation. I, I don't have the answers. You know, I, I alluded to potentially calling the book, but I feel like if you're going to do that, you're going to have to calm it down a little bit because I, I am not a fan of a game full of penalties. I prefer a game where there's two power plays or mm-hmm. zero for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get, putting a team on a man advantage is such a significant change. In oh, it's the huge. Game. I, I really like, wish, I, I think, honestly, if I had to predict. And, you know, we, we can play back here on the Pucks and D podcast, so maybe I'll end up playing back to this. But what I would like to predict and what I would like to see is a, a movement in the game where penalties are really only called when you stopped a scoring chance due to an infraction. Right. Or a, or chance or or a, a big injury or something. Yeah, something yeah, dangerous. I might not even change his possession. I might not even go so far as the possession, though. Like, right. unless I, like, I mean, come on, man. You can't be going out there and like literally tripping a guy on purpose. I'm just saying, like, okay, if my stick got caught in his skates and he fell down, like, I need to see. I guess it's always going to be situational, but like, you don't need to call the penalty if nothing really happened other than I kind of yeah. tripped him up. Oh, oh, I dropped my stick and everything. Okay, I'm going yeah. to pick up my stick. He still has the puck, and now we're on a delayed penalty. Nothing really fucking I, happened here, man. Like, yeah. let it go. And that's a big – especially where it takes place, like where on the ice it takes place, it could be really, you know, have non-consequential as far as the game. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the kind of things that bother you because that's, that's been a huge change in recent years in the NHL is that, that you're responsible for your stick. And it wasn't like that before. And that's an adjustment that's still being made, I think, by the players. And mm-hmm. that if a guy does accidentally trip on your stick, it's a tripping penalty now almost every time. But that's a good example, too, of a penalty that cuts called in the first 10 minutes of the first but doesn't get called in five minutes left in the third. Yes. Yeah, yeah. like the one, the one with five minutes left on the third has to literally be – a can opener that everyone saw you clearly tripped them and you can't even argue it. And even, even then sometimes 
they just let them let them play on because oh it's 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 too close to the end of the game and we don't want to they give... don't want to decide the game but 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 what's the fucking difference you called it in the first that goal that goal might exactly. be the game winner exactly you gave them a five on three for the same call in the first period resulted in a, a power play goal or a couple power play goals god forbid yeah and you may have already decided so it's a really difficult topic but I, like i said i welcome the conversation I, i'm 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 almost glad it happened. It sucked to happen that you know a, a ref had to get thrown under the bus for it for basically saying what they all say because he didn't turn off the little mic box, right? Well, apparently it was someone in the truck, though, eh? It shouldn't have never gone. Oh yeah, yeah it's the truck fuck up. So he had the ref audio on when it should have been off. He was basically. just he was just testing it to make sure it worked. Well, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Works pretty good. It fucking worked all right. <laughs> um. One, I guess one last topic here that we should hammer out, and it's probably one of the biggest topics, really, so we won't try to go too far on it here, too deep, but the goalie controversy in Toronto. I mean, we have not had anything resembling one since Freddie Anderson arrived, and now we have, I'd say we even have a goaltending mystery more than a controversy, do we not? Yeah, mystery is a much better term. Especially with Freddie's status being unknown. I mean, even today... Dubis is quoted saying, I fully expect him to play again this season or in the playoffs. But still, there's no timeline. There's no injury. And Keefe's quote the other day I thought was pretty interesting because basically what he said was, it's more of a matter of when Freddie is ready, like feels ready. So what that tells me, and I'm this is me reading into it, and no sources or whatever, but it tells me that he's medically cleared to play. Yeah, And it's more of a matter of he doesn't feel 100%. He wants to be 100%. And it, and I, I don't want to go too far into this either, but there could be a mental component to this. And I'm not going to speculate on it, but it could very well be a factor. Because they asked Bruce Boudreau about it this week, and he said, listen, when, when I coached Freddie, and he was always in a tandem and a battle for starting, when he was on, when he was in the zone, when he was 100% healthy, he was good, he was confident. But he said when he wasn't, he wasn't. If he wasn't yeah. playing, if he, if he had a tweak or a whatever, he wasn't. And we really saw that in the last year or so of his play. It's like you could tell when he wasn't 100% because he, he, he was posting sub-900 save percentage or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen it, we've seen it pretty consistently, Lesko, if you really want to dive into it because uh, whether he's injured or not, he played too much hockey. And it led to him not being on point in the playoffs, right? So that would that would kind of bring forth a little bit more confirmation to Bruce Boudreaux's comments being a former coach of his, right? If he's not there at 100%, then he's really just not. And rolling into the playoffs in previous years where we were counting on Freddie to give us a save and he couldn't give it to us, that could have a lot to do with it right then and there. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and, and I'm glad you brought up you know previous years because we all we were talking about was workload. You know, he's playing so he's playing good, but can he keep it going for 60 starts and in a playoff run? The answer turned out to be no. No. Right. So, yeah. and and here we are with a completely different situation that maybe no one predicted. Um, but I mean, let's flip this on the positive here and talk about Jack Campbell and what a story this guy is. A uh, um, they, there was a really good feature done in the athletic, uh, based on the journey of this guy and how he went from borderline retiring, because uh, he he essentially felt like he never lived up to the expectations. 
Because if anyone recalls, anyone who's our age might recall, he was a stud in the World Juniors for that U.S. team. Yes. He was a hugely hyped goalie, and he even mentioned, like, he cited Price. I was a Price fan. Um, I was drafted, you know, first round. I expected to have a similar trajectory, 18 years old, and he got cut. And that was his first kind of mental setback. And from there, it was just a continuous grind. And to this day, he has not played that many NHL games. That's right. But it seems that he, and that he worked his way. Um, he really talked about uh, his time in L.A. and the coach he hooked up with there, the difference that coach made in, in, in sharpening his game and, and bring him to a place mentally where he felt comfortable, you know, grinding it out in the AHL with the Ontario Reign where they won a Calder Cup and all that. So, and on top of it, as we've said many times, and anyone who's listened to the man speak, there's not many fucking guys out there more likable than Jack Campbell oh, right now. Oh, God, I know. It's it's ridiculous. It's almost as if he's doing it for show. <laughs> but he's not. Like, that's just the way he is, you know? And um, the article that you alluded to, uh, you know, for our listeners that are subscribers of The Athletic, definitely a must-read. Um, you know, he changed his outlook, Right. Um, he, he lost his, his confidence. He lost his, his mind, not in the traditional way where you say, Oh, I lost my mind. Like he just lost it, you know? And then to, to be able to persevere, grind it out, get back on top and then do what he's doing in a market like Toronto. I mean, you, you, whether you love or hate the Leafs, man, you just got to tip your cap to this guy. And it's, it's super it's super exciting watching him do it, and he'll and he'll go yeah. for another he'll go for another one tonight, right now. Yeah, it's it's the story of the year for me, and and you know, like I said, I lead it into the segment talking about goalie controversy, but I don't even think there's a controversy right now. I think Jack Campbell is essentially the starter, and if Freddie comes back 100, percent he'll get a game. If, if whether it's at the end of the season or in the playoffs, he'll get a game because I'm not saying it's owed to him, but I would say. I would say in a it sense, is. It is. It is. Yeah. Like, I, I, for lack of a better term, he deserves a shot. That's whether it. Whether it's in the season or what. I, I could see them rolling into game one and be like, all right, Freddie, like, what do you got? But I definitely think we're at minimum, from Keith's perspective, say, we're at minimum in a tandem situation. But I think it's not a tandem until Fred comes back and proves that he's Fred and he's not whatever we've seen in the last year, which is basically a, a replacement level goaltender. Are we, statistically speaking. Are, are we even going to get an opportunity to see Freddie back in the crease in the regular season? How do, do you know if we have any restrictions as far as cap is concerned? That's, that's the other thing. And, and that might come to light over the next day or so. But my understanding that even activating him off LTIR will ca- cause some concern as in, there'll be some maneuvering that has to take place to make that happen. Right. Because they essentially retroactively put them on LTIR in order to accommodate some of the deals that they have made. Now they've also, they did do one roster subtraction in sending fair banner. I know they sent a couple guys down in the minors brought up Nikki Robertson who's playing tonight, which should be pretty exciting. Friggin' right. I'm really happy to see him. I know they got to get him back in to find out, you know, are we going to run this guy through the ringer in the playoffs or not? Well, but, tonight, uh, I mean, we play I mean, we play who we're playing in the playoffs, so it's a really good opportunity here. And Nylander's out, so stopgap for right now and see what you got. Exactly. And, 
Uh, I couldn't be more confident in Jack Campbell right now. Like, it's it's reminiscent of how I felt for three years, four years about Frederick Anderson. Like, he's just – he's making the saves he, sh- he should and then some. And you can tell the boys, especially with the streak going on and the NHL record, like, he, boys that are game I thought was sloppy. Sloppy for Jack, sloppy for the D, but – they, they still found a way to win, as good teams should, right? That's right. Absolutely. Um, just quickly before uh, we wrap it up, I'm assuming we're going to wrap up here, eh? Leaf game coming on right about now, and I think we got, got everything it. said that we need to say. Um, is it just me, or does Jack Campbell give off some serious Cujo vibes in the crease? Oh, yeah. Like would you, like the Snow Angels? Those couple saves he made the other day, can't remember who it was against. But he was swimming, so, and he made a remarkable pad save there. So not only the desperational play, but yes, I think first and foremost, the desperational play. Get a lot of that from Cujo, right? But secondly, he just literally looks like Cujo standing in the net and moving across, and not necessarily the way he makes saves and how technically he plays, but like he just... He reminds me of Curtis Joseph, and then they zoom in, and I know that Cujo had his famous Cujo mask and stuff, but like, there's some similarities in the mask, and he kind of looks like him underneath the mask. If you recall, Curtis Joseph had like those big, thick eyebrows, eh? And like and the smile, yeah, the little smile, the little thick eyebrows, and the t- the smaller, darker eyes. Like Jack Campbell reminds me of Curtis Joseph a lot, and then and then he's flown out the fucking blocker, and then he's sliding over here, and he's getting back into position, and and even the way like he'll he'll be on all fours, let's go, scampering back into position. Like that's they're not going to teach you that at goalie school, but you know he he does yeah. whatever it takes to keep it out of the net, and I I do I get a lot of serious Cujo vibes from him from him. Yeah, well that's if. I'll take it because the last time we went on a good run, it was basically on the back of Cujo. Yeah. And Jack Campbell doesn't even have to do that much. Yeah. Uh, so to, he to was Cujo. Success, I think. He was Cujo. What's Jack? Jacka? <laughs> J A C A? J C. J A. Just like you, J C. <laughs> Beauty. Right on, man. All right. Well, listen, let's, uh, let's take off here and we'll wrap it up. Episode 79. We'll get ourselves in front of the TV for a Leaf game and, uh, Hopefully we'll be able to get back together soon, man. I don't know when this fucking lockdown is going to come to an end, but hopefully we can get together soon. Maybe watch a couple games, get something geared up for the playoffs. Uh, you know, we're don't want to tease anything too crazy right now. Let's go. But you know, the Pucks and D podcast, we're working on a few things behind the scenes. Uh, so stay oh, the tuned. Buns there. Are in the oven. And oh, also irons in the fire. Also, um, we created our Facebook page today. Uh, just prior to recording the episode. So um, no no content on there just yet to to share, but it is the first step in, uh, you know, creating some exciting, fresh new content for uh, for the listeners and for, and for the viewers. We're missing out on our video episode uh, this week, some technical difficulties on that front. But don't worry, like Lesko said, we got some irons in the fire and we're really excited to uh, to announce a few, uh, a few new ventures here, maybe for the Pucks and D podcast, some good guests coming up. Um, looking forward to getting uh, back to it on a, on a bit of a more regular basis, Lesko, instead of once every month. What do you think? Yes, for sure. Now <laughs> things are heating up a little bit. And uh, I know we've, we've sorted out the logistics and the technical aspects for the most part as far as remote and not remote. So we're going to keep the episodes flowing here uh, into the playoffs or into the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. And we do have some exciting content coming your way. 
That is a promise from the Pucks and Deep podcast. Irons are in the fire. I'm excited. We're excited. Fans are excited. Sponsors are excited. I mean, everybody's excited. <laughs> There's no better outro than that, Mr. Eugene That's Melnick. Favorite. That's my favorite callback that we do. <laughs> but, oh, man. Everyone's excited. The sponsors are excited. It's a very exciting time to be excited for sure. Uh, all right. Yeah. So follow us on Twitter. You can find us at Let's Go Adam. Myself at Coleman42, and of course the station at PuckPod. And now you can also find us on Facebook at PuckPod as well. Toss us a like, toss us a review, share us around, tell all your friends. It's uh, it's an exciting time in Leafland, folks, and we'll see you again next week. Go Leafs, go baby. <laughs> <laughs>